Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked about to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God to us. Amen. You guys have a seat. Hey, welcome to Frontline. It's good to see you guys. If you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, as we jump into this text today, um, I want to start out with a question. Uh, how many of you uh, have ever had your patience tested? Um, maybe you have small kids, and uh, so you've, you've already realized from a really young age, like a little bit of Daniel Tiger goes a really long way. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've got uh, a job where you've just got a, a long uh, daily commute to and from work, and so you're always just dealing with the hassles of, of traffic. 
Uh, or maybe you're like me and you've got some friends that are really into cycling right now and every time they see you, they're like, I'd love to corner you and talk your ear off about this. Uh, and, uh, and so that's your story. And so, um, you know, some of us, uh, we have these things in our lives, these things that really do test our patience. And, uh, and what's interesting about this passage that we're looking at today is that we're going we're gonna to encounter some people, uh, we're going to meet some people who have their patience tested a bit. We're going we're gonna to meet some people who experience some frustration uh, with, with Jesus, and, uh, and I think if we could be honest, and, and for, for some of us who grew up in church, that's, that would be a new sensation for us, but if we could be honest, we would say, hey, that's something that, that I experience from time to time as well. I sometimes feel impatient with Jesus. There are times when, when I experience his plan and, and I'm like, hey, hey, Jesus, A, I don't really know if I like the plan too much, uh, and B, uh, I kind of wish you could hurry the plan up a little bit. It's moving a little bit too slow for me. And what's amazing is that both for the folks in the story and for us, is that Jesus is going to meet us in that place, not with a stern rebuke, not with a harsh word, not with punishment for our lack of faith, but Jesus is going to actually meet us in that place with grace and love, patience of his own. And and as we see this story weave together today, we're going to see this beautiful truth emerge, and it's this that Jesus actually knows what he's doing. Jesus actually knows what he's doing. Isn't that good news? So, so we're going we're gonna to meet this cast of characters today. And, um, and as we see this, we start to see this story unfold. And what I really like about this is, is Mark does this because the, the, so much of the, the thing is narrative and, and so many of the stories uh, work this way, uh, is that uh, what we see in this story and a lot of his narrative is kind of the typical uh, three-act structure that we're so used to in film and in books and in plays. And so um, as we kind of open on this, uh, act one, if I could give you kind of the Quentin Tarantino title screen, uh, kind of the, the big idea of act one, it's this. Jesus meets you where you are. So if I could just set the stage a bit, um, we're picking up this story uh, as Jesus and his disciples are returning from across the sea. So just to, to retrace our steps a bit, in the past couple of weeks, here's, here's where we've been. They're, they're stepping off a boat, so they're coming from somewhere. Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about where they were. They were in the country of the Gerasenes. And you remember this? This is where Jesus encountered the man who uh, was demonized. And Jesus met this man, and he, he uh, healed this man. And, uh, and then before that, uh, they had to get over there, so uh, they went by boat. And so the week before that, uh, we had read about Jesus and the disciples in the sea, and this crazy storm came up, and this is where Jesus calms the wind and the waves. And before that, all the way back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is actually right here. In, this, in the same place that we're, we're reading about today, Jesus was right here, and he was, he was preaching parables about the kingdom. And so, so now he's back. He's come full circle. He went across the sea, through the storm, to the demonized man, and now he's back. And here's where we meet the first character in this story. And it's a man named Jairus. Jairus shows up. He's this religious leader, a ruler in the synagogue. So picture a, a, a well-known man, probably well-dressed, wealthy, uh, respected by everyone, 
probably smells nice. And what's really crazy about this scene is he walks straight up to Jesus, a Galilean carpenter who's worked a lot of days in a row, has been on a boat, probably smells like fish, and he falls at his feet, right? This is a, this is a weird scene, but we quickly find out why. He's desperate. Verse 23, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So we find out Jairus has got this little girl back home who's going to die if Jesus doesn't intervene immediately. And, uh, and we might think, oh, she's just pretty sick and, uh, and she needs to be healed. But this isn't, the, the language here is not, hey, she's pretty sick and she's going to keep getting worse until you heal her. The language is she's at the point of death, Okay. The language isn't, she's going to have to go to the doctor. It's, she's been at the doctor. She's been in the emergency room. They've done all they can. And at this point, we're going to be lucky if you make it back before she dies. That's where we're at. She's at the point of death. And then verse 24, and he, Jesus, went with him. He went with him. And I love, I love that Jesus goes with him. He, he meets Jairus where he is after Stepping off a boat after a, a long time of, of doing ministry, after a lot of really crazy taxing work, Jesus steps off of a boat. Now, I've never, I've never tried to, re- like on the way there, Jesus was asleep on the boat. I've never tried to sleep on a boat. I'm a, I plan on keeping it that way. Um, but Jesus is, you know, it, like, like I, have, I have worked a lot of days in a row. Right? Like, I've, I've been on work trips. And, uh, and if you're anything like me, uh, the thing that you want after a lot of days of work, after being really tired, after being on the road, the thing you want is to just get home, okay? Like, to just get in, in your own bed, to just kind of shut things out for a little bit, to get home, not to get right back to work. And what I love about this is that Jesus meets this man, and it amazes me in this moment that he isn't too tired Jesus isn't too important. He's not too busy. He sees this dad who's distraught. He's scared. He's worried about his little girl. And Jesus feels compassion for this man. He feels compassion for him. He loves him. He goes with him. This is what Jesus is like. And some of you need to hear this today. Because some of us in this room, you, you grew up, and your impression of Jesus, you grew up thinking Jesus only cares about your soul. The only thing Jesus is really interested in is saving you from your sin, and he really doesn't have any time for your problems. And you just need to know that, yeah, Jesus cares about your soul. He, he wants to save you from your sin, but Jesus is a big boy. He can handle your problems. Some of you have brought all kinds of anxieties into the room. Like, like you had a, like you called time out in the car in the middle of a fight with your spouse, and you're like, we'll get back to this, but right now we need to pretend like everything is okay. Some of you are in the middle, like you just started a job, and you're like, I'm in way over my head. Some of you have tons of questions about, like, I don't know where my kids are going in life, but I feel a lot of worry and anxiety about that. And I want you to just know Jesus cares about all of that. He cares about it. You are not a, a, a faceless, nameless nobody to Jesus. He sees you. He cares about you. He has time for you. He's not too important for you. Yes, he is bringing his kingdom into the world. He's dealing with deep things like sin, 
but he's also dealing with all of its effects. He has time for you. He cares for you. So Jesus and Jairus, they go, and immediately this crowd, <clears throat> this crowd swarms around him. They want to see where he's going. They want to see what he's about to do. <clears throat> and by now, Jesus has this reputation uh, as a healer, and, uh, and people are interested, not, not interested in laying their lives down to follow him as disciples. They're interested, like when you try to sell something online and people are like, I'm interested, and you're like, yo, you want to buy it? And they're like, no, I'm just interested. Like, I just want to see how it goes. You know, that weird, that weird dynamic. So that's the crowd. They're, they're pressing in. They're sort of tangentially interested in what Jesus is doing. And here's where we meet the second character in the story. And it's this woman. This woman is in the crowd, and she's, she's made her way through the crowd, and she's almost to Jesus, and we find out about this woman's backstory. She's had this condition for 12 years. Crazy. Imagine being sick with anything for 12 years. And, and her story is she's been to every doctor in town. She's tried every cure. She spent all of her money trying to find a, a remedy, and, and it's not just that she's seen very little progress. It's that she's actually regressed. She's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so, you, as you can imagine, this condition has taken a massive toll on her health, but think about the other implications. She's also spent all of her money, so she's poor and destitute. Not only that, she has a disease that, according to Levitical law, causes her to be ceremonially unclean at all times. She's untouchable. She's hopeless. She's all alone for 12 years, but she's heard of Jesus, and she's tried everything else. And so she goes to Jesus, and she thinks, if I could just, if I could just get to him, if I could just get to his garments, if I could just touch the back of his, his, his cloak, if I could just touch him, I'll be healed. And she does, and immediately she's healed. Mark says she's freed from her suffering, and Jesus realizes something is happening in that moment. Again, verse 30, <clears throat> Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. <clears throat> Jesus, this is really bizarre. Jesus realizes that power had gone out of him. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus in this moment experiences weakness. He feels power leave his body. He feels drained, and he knows, hey, there's been a healing in this moment. He loses power so that this woman can gain it. And so he stops everything to turn around and see what's going on, find out who this was. And here's where we see these two storylines converge. And so first we see that Jesus, he meets us where we are. And then the second thing that we see is that Jesus demands more than you want to give. So verse 33, but the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. And she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Jesus not only stops uh, to see who touched him, which if you're following the story to this point, doesn't this feel weird? Doesn't this feel impractical? You're like, hey, wait, Jesus is going somewhere. And he seems to have forgotten that. Jesus stops, and, and not just to turn and just like kind of glance back and be like, oh, I healed somebody, Cool. He doesn't just move on. He stops, turns around, and is like, okay, I want, I want the full explanation. 
the whole truth. And so this woman comes and he stands there as this woman falls at his feet and confesses everything. And if you're in the crowd, if you're the disciples, if you're the onlookers, you might be watching this and going like, Jesus, have you forgotten that this this feels like kind of an emergency situation. Like you should probably be moving a little bit quicker and it seems like you've lost your mind in this moment. And imagine Jairus and his anxiety, right? Like, and I don't think that he's like this cold robot of a human being. Like he's probably looking at this woman and probably feels some compassion for her, but he's probably also thinking like, hey, my daughter, like it's crucial, Jesus, that you get to her now, Remember, she's at the point of death. Now, this woman, she has this grave condition, but she's dealt with it for 12 years. Like, surely she doesn't need a full medical debriefing in this moment. Surely this could wait 12 more minutes. She's, she's dealt with this condition. This makes no sense. One commentator says that what Jesus is doing in this moment is not just irrational, delaying the healing of this young girl, it's actually malpractice. That if this were an emergency room, any doctor who treated the woman first and let the little girl die would be sued in a heartbeat. So picture Jairus standing next to Jesus, frantically kind of hopping up and down, tapping Jesus on the shoulder, and yet Jesus will not be hurried. And then everyone's worst fear. Verse 35, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can we just, can we just kind of try to pause and put ourselves in Jairus' shoes for a moment and try to just take that in? If, if you could imagine the, the pain of a father in that moment who's just gotten news that he's lost his daughter. He's, he's hearing for the first time, hey, your daughter did not make it. And so wave after wave of sadness, of grief, of loss. Now couple that with the fact that he is standing next to the man, the one man on the planet who could have actually done something about it. And and can you start to imagine some resentment starting to come to the surface in Jairus? Something in him start to well up that feels a whole lot like anger. Jesus, are are you kidding me? You're the one person who could have done something about this. And you're standing here wasting my time. I could have... I could have been by my daughter's side. I could have told her, I love you one more time. And instead, I'm here with you. And in the middle of this, in the middle of all of that, that's swirling around inside of Jairus, Jesus looks him in the eye. He overhears this, verse 36, overhearing what they said. Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear only believe. Doesn't that feel like it comes out of left field? Doesn't, doesn't this feel somewhat detached from reality? Like, like I imagine Jesus in this moment and he comes across so calm, so collected, right? Like almost with a smile on his face. And he's saying to this heartbroken father, hey, you can trust me. 
Be patient. Jairus is, like the, the words are still ringing in his ears. Your daughter has died. And Jesus is saying, there's no hurry. You can trust me. I know what I'm doing. Be patient. Something about the way that Jesus is talking is almost disconnected from reality. It's almost otherworldly. And I think that's kind of the point. Remember, this is the kingdom of God breaking into the domain of darkness. There is something otherworldly about this. This is one culture clashing with another. If you've ever, if you've ever done any traveling, um, you know that uh, every culture just has a, a different sense of time. Um, when I was in college, uh, I went to Mexico for a, a mission trip with my church and, and some friends and I did some work there, uh, and we and we put a, a roof on this this church, and uh, and noticed very quickly we we were there for about a a week or so, and uh, noticed very very quickly we just had a different sense of time. My group of Americans we would get there at the, a set time every day, and so every day we were on time. And uh, the people who were a part of the church there in Mexico would show up. And to us, it just felt like whenever they wanted to. Um, Of course, they worked 10 times harder than us, but that's not the point. Like, we were on time. We clocked out at a certain time. And we, you know, but uh, it was just a a, a real weird discrepancy. And uh, and the weirdest part was the the last day. Um, And this was a a poor church. This was a, a very impoverished community. And so every day we would come in from a hotel and we would drive down this road road with a lot of, it was a, a bumpy, just weird, you know, dirt road, a lot of potholes. The very last day, we had to swerve to get around a dead horse that was in the road, and we still made it on time. And, uh, and so we showed up to the work site, and we finished the roof of this church. And, uh, and the other guys, like, they showed up whenever, and we, all, and we finished it together. And, uh, and I remember the pastor of this church uh, showed up, this super sweet man named Alejandro, most joyful man I've ever met. And uh, he was so excited about his church having this new roof. And uh, he said, I want to have your whole crew uh, to dinner at my house tonight. Um, and, uh, and so he invited us all over. And it was like 30 people. So I was like, are you sure? Like, can we pay for it? And he would, he would not take no for an answer, wouldn't accept any help. And uh, so finally we were like, okay. And he was like, I want you to be there at six o'clock, like right after this. So we went straight from the work site. And I was like, there's no way this is going to be ready at six o'clock. And uh, we get there and I think we were even like a few minutes early. We were like, well, let's just see. And uh, we got there and at six o'clock, it was not ready. And uh, just like I thought. And we get to his house and I was like, is anybody even home? I don't even think they were home yet. And uh, so then they got there and it was like his family. They went inside. They were like, well, there's only room in the house for our family. So we're going to be making dinner. And um, so we all, like 30 of us, were like waiting outside for this meal. And we waited and I was like, maybe it'll be really quick. And uh, it was like an hour and a half. Um, but, and, and at a point, I was just like, maybe this isn't even real. Maybe they're not going to even, maybe they're just, you know, maybe they're going to chicken out and go to bed and just hope we leave. Uh, but uh, at a point, they finally came outside, and they started just bringing plates and plates of food and set up tables, and it was amazing. And it was like, it was very simple. It was rice and beans and fajitas. And I kid you not, to this day, it is one of the best meals I've ever had in my entire life. It was, I mean, it was, I was going back for seconds and thirds, and it was just incredible and well worth the wait. And, and it dawned on me at one point um, 
that on, on my time frame, right, in, in my culture, uh, it feels really rude to serve dinner an hour and a half or two hours late. That just feels rude to me. Uh, and, and for their family, and, and maybe for some in that culture, uh, the, the time is not really the point. The point was, hey, we've, we've done our very best to serve and love and show our appreciation. Like that, that, was, that was their thing. That was what they set out to do. And so anyway, we enjoyed that meal, and the night finally ended, and uh, we drove back to our hotel. And uh, on the way back, that horse was gone, and I realized we just ate that horse um, we had horse fajitas, and uh, no regrets at all, but, um, but I realize, and that's not the point. The point is, every culture is different, and um, timing is relative. Uh, so, um, as ridiculous as that is, uh, think about where we're at in this text. God's timing is so much more ridiculous than that. Think about Jesus here. He will not be hurried His ways are not our ways. He doesn't operate on our schedule. So when we expect him to, when we'd like for him to hurry up, when we try to impose our timing on him, suddenly we we feel this sense of like, well, he must not love me. Oh, wow, Jesus, this is really rude. Here I am. I'm waiting on you, and you've just decided not to show up. Maybe you don't really care about me. And so this brings us to this moment in the story where we start to realize, even though Jesus has been front and center this whole time, we realize he's really been subverting our expectations. So let's look at at Jesus, namely, why is he delaying things? Why Why is he pausing to focus on this woman when he should be getting to the little girl? Is this some kind of game? Is Jesus in over his head? Is he trying to do too much? Is he tired from the long boat ride? Well, here's what's happening. Jesus sees the needs of Jairus and the woman. He sees the stuff on the surface. He sees the stuff that they see, but he also sees all the stuff under the surface. He sees the needs under the needs, the ones they don't even realize they have. What we see is that Jesus wants to do a deeper work in Jairus than he ever bargained for. Think again about Jesus' words after Jairus receives the news of his daughter's death. He says, do not fear, only believe. And if you're Jairus in that moment, you're probably thinking, I did believe. <laughs> like That's why I came to you, because I believed. Like I, I came to you, I needed you to come and cure my daughter before she died. I trusted you that much, and yet Jesus demanded more. The invitation was for Jairus to trust him even after his daughter had died. And that was way more trust than Jairus was ready to give. But look at how Jesus follows up. Skip to the end of the story, verse 37, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? child is not dead but sleeping, and they laugh at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha Kumi, 
which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Jairus came to Jesus trusting a little, and Jesus invited him to trust him more, more than he wanted, more than he was comfortable with. But he also came to Jesus for a cure, and instead he got a resurrection. And what's starting to materialize here is the final act of the story, and here it is, that Jesus gives more than we expected to get. Tim Keller says it like this, if you go to Jesus, he may ask of you far more than you originally planned to give, but he can give to you infinitely more than you dared ask or think. So as we look at this cast of characters, uh, we, don't, we don't get credited in this story, but what about you and me? In this story, when this little girl dies, um, as, as far as the, the characters in the story are concerned, it is malpractice for Jesus to let this happen. But we've read to the end of the story, okay? So, so we know things that they don't know. We have crucial information that they don't have. To them, it seemed like Jesus was delaying things for no good reason, but they didn't have all the facts And for many of us in the room today, we know what that feels like. It seems like God is delaying his grace in your life, maybe even committing malpractice. But there are things you don't know. There are parts of your story, friends, that you don't know and I don't know yet. There is crucial information that we don't have. And Jesus' invitation to you and to me is the same invitation as to Jairus. When hopes seem lost, do not fear. Only believe. Trust me. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. Today, friends, you and I are being invited to trust Jesus, because Jesus sees the whole story. We see in part, we see a little bit right now. There's more to the story. It's not all clear, but one day it will be. And until then, we can trust Jesus. And so as we start to close today, it's interesting that this little girl is one of the first characters mentioned in the story, but she's the last one we meet, which feels significant because Jesus, at his own pace, has been steadily moving towards her for this entire time. And when Jesus shows up, she is dead. And Jesus knows that. It's not that the others there were ignorant and Jesus knew, like, oh, she's really in a coma. She just needs a good shake. Like, Jesus knew she's dead. And so here's what he's getting at. Verse 41, again, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. What's interesting here is that Mark records uh, this Aramaic phrase and then he translates it uh, maybe for a lot of reasons, maybe to just let us know like, hey, this isn't Jesus' version of abracadabra. Um, I I think the main reason this is recorded this way is that it's simply the, the language this little girl would have spoken in her ordinary day-to-day life. Uh, this, is, this is not Jesus using big Bible words. He doesn't say, be resurrected. He, 
He goes, and, he, and this is actually uh, a term of parental endearment. Uh, probably a better translation for this is, honey, it's time to get up. It's what a parent would, would whisper to their child on a, on a sunny morning. Um, and Jesus says, honey, it's, it's time to get up. Think about this. In the middle of this, this kingdom of darkness, where... The, the greatest villain uh, of the human race is, is death itself. Uh, the greatest enemy, where death has the, the final word, and it always has, so much so that these folks in the story, uh, when, when they find out the little girl has died, they, they come and they go, hey, just leave him alone, right? Like, like, he may be a great healer, but your little girl has died. There's nothing, no one stronger than that. When Jesus goes and says, well, she's only asleep, they laugh at him almost as if to say, man, you must not be from around here because when, when death takes someone, like that's it. When somebody dies, that's the end of the story. There's no coming back from this. But here comes Jesus and he takes this girl by the hand and he says to her, honey, it's time to get up. And it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, if I have you by the hand, death is nothing but sleep. Friends, in Christ, you may be in a dark night. Things today might not make sense. You may find yourself wanting to hurry him along. But he has you by the hand. And he will get you through it. He will take you through the darkness. You might be really scared. You might be struggling to trust him. You might be asking him, how can I know that he will not let go? And I would say, look no further than the cross. Jesus was crucified in weakness so that we could live in God's power. He was made weak so that we could be strong. If you've ever lost your kid's hand in a grocery store, you know how scary that can be, and it's nothing compared to the loss that Jesus experienced. On the cross, he lost the hand of his father. This is what the woman's story is pointing us to. Jesus lost power so that she could gain it. But on the cross, he lost his life so that we could live forever. The story of Jairus and his daughter reminds us that he went to the tomb so that we could be raised out of it. He lost his father's hand so we could know that once he has us by the hand, he will never, ever forsake us. So, friends, where you feel impatient with Jesus today, where you feel like the dark night of the soul might never end, let him take you by the hand and do what he wants. He loves you, he cares for you, and he actually knows what he's doing. So Jesus, thank you for meeting us. Thank you for meeting my friends and, and God in, in all the ways that we have questions, even in this moment where it feels hard to believe, where it feels hard to trust you, where we see in part, pray that you would you would remind us of your goodness. Meet us as we come to the table in just a moment. And remind us that you really do know what you're doing. In Jesus' name.